What's up, everyone, and welcome to Through the Veil, episode number 28. I am your host, Alex Nelson, and on today's episode, we have my dear friend, Tim Corcoran, who is the owner and leader of what is called Purpose Mountain, which does nature-based approaches to helping you discover your purpose. Tim has uh, led a couple of fit-for-service workshops that have been so, so impactful for me, and I knew from the first one I did that I needed to get him on the podcast. So this is that. And check out, if you're interested, the companion episode, which describes in detail the experience that I had on one of his facilitated experiences called a soul wander. It's been one of the most impactful experiences I've ever had in my life. So you can check that out. That episode is being released at the same time as this episode, but I hope you enjoy this one. Tim is just such a wealth of deep knowledge and these nature-based approaches to uncovering pieces of yourself are really, really impactful and really, really accessible to just about anyone. So I hope you like this one. If you do, please consider dropping a five-star rating on iTunes, leaving a review, or just sharing this with a friend. That all helps to grow the podcast. And as always, you can connect with me on Instagram at Alexander Diesel. I respond to DMs, so feel free to drop me a message there. We can chat and check out my general rantings and ravings. And as always, you can find me on my website, www.throughtheveil.co. You can book coaching, you can learn about different things that I do, and find all my stuff there as well. So, much love, I hope you enjoy this episode, and without any further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being here. Yeah, great to be here, Alex. Yeah, so I always find it useful to kind of start off with a little bit of context. Um, so we met at the Lake Tahoe retreat for Fit for Service, which is the mastermind I am a part of, and you led us on this wonderful practice called a soul wander. Mm-hmm. So I found it really impactful. A lot of people found it really impactful. And yeah want to get you on the podcast so if you can just give a little bit of a context of like who you are what you do um you know a couple paragraphs there we can use that as a jumping off point yeah absolutely so i live in sandpoint idaho which is all the way up north just about an hour from canada uh, where i live here with my wife and my two sons and family is a really important commitment so i like to start with that first and foremost i'm a dad and a husband and when i'm not doing that um I'm all about connecting with nature and connecting with soul, right? So I have two different organizations. Uh, we have our, our wilderness school, Twin Eagles Wilderness School that my wife and I have run for the last 15 years here in Sandpoint. And that is a, a, a bioregionally locally based organization where we work in person with youth and adults, where our big mission is connecting people to nature um, in as a direct method as possible. Uh, and that's been very successful. I'm very blessed with that work uh, as well. I also have another organization, Purpose Mountain, that I started uh, four years ago or so. Um, where my explicit intention is helping people to connect with their deepest soul level purpose um, using a nature-based approach. So there's a lot of history that goes into all of that work, and I'm sure we will dive into that. But yeah, at the, at the end of the day, Alex, my work is to connect deeply with nature and to connect deeply with the deepest part 
within us and where we intersect with all things and bring that alive in myself and in others. Beautiful. Yeah. Nicely yeah. encapsulated there and a yeah. powerful mission. Um, mm. So I always get curious and I find it can be a really good, um, a good way for people to connect with you mm-hmm. as a person. If you can start a little bit with just like, you know, in as much detail or as little detail as you want talking about your journey that brought you mm. to this type of work. Cause I find often the usefulness is in the struggle of the story. And then people can go, Oh, Tim's a real guy. He's, right. he's gone through some shit. <laughs> and it's not just, he's this yeah. complete product. That's amazing. So right. I'd love to hear a little bit about what brought you to this type of work and kind of how that blossomed for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm definitely a human being and I've got my, my two sides, my, my light and my shadow, just like anybody else. Um, so I'm 46 as well. So a little context, you know, I've, I've been doing this work for consciously doing this work for, yeah, most of my adult years, uh, 20 years. Um, really, I mean, it does go back to childhood. So I grew up in the Midwest in the 80s uh, from in Indiana, right? So a Midwestern boy. And on the one hand, I had this really kind of beautiful, uh, in the 80s, right? It was like, <laughs> pre-technology what did we have we had a tv with three channels mm-hmm. right and there was maybe like one good show on a week um so a lot of my childhood was just immersed in nature simply because that's what there was to do and that's what we did um so there's a lot of beautiful acts but aspects to my childhood some good friends uh, a loving family you know grew up middle class kind of run of the mill um and, and during that time, uh, there was, uh, there were some early experiences I had, you know, whenever, uh, whenever I had time, I would just soak up nature in the neighborhood woods, riding my bike, wandering around. I was a really sensitive boy, uh, emotionally and spiritually, which, you know, in the eighties, wasn't such a good thing. Right. <laughs> uh, all those locker room moments, you know, um, I, I, I did experience a, a fair bit of bullying teasing and that kind of thing that had a big, big impact on me. Um, as well, I suffered some early abuse and had some early trauma um, that was uh, very, very influential to me in my journey. And then I had, when I was 15, my, my parents got divorced. And as a, you know, as a, as a sensitive guy, um, that threw a big chasm down into my soul. Honestly, Alex, it was really, really tough. And so, you know, I kind of had these two, uh, these two different threads going. And whenever I would, um, whenever I was struggling, the one place I could always go for peace and solace and healing and just to fully be myself was nature, right? The neighborhood woods, the woods at school, whatever it was, nature was always there for me. And my sense was as a kid, I remember being so full of life. I don't know if uh, if, if listeners can kind of connect with this, but I remember being a kid and everything was new and everything was novel and right. It was just like, ah, oh, life is here and we're, we're living it fully. And every day is an adventure. Um, and as I looked to the adults around me, I was, I was kind of like fascinated and freaked out all at the same time to be like, they all seem like they're a bunch of zombies that are asleep. Right. right? <laughs> like, is, and the big question was, is that the faith that awaits right. me? And a big part of me was like, hell no, <laughs> like I'm not going to do that. So um, I've had a big journey. So I'll try and just kind of touch on some of the major pieces. So by the time I hit college, um, I was still playing by the rules 
uh, and you know, I was always a good kid and wanted to be that good son, wanted to get good grades, all of that, um, wanted to please uh, the people around me. Uh, and yet, by the time I hit that, those college years, Alex, there was a big part of me that was like, okay, what the hell, right? Like the American dream, this thing is a pipe dream. Like, look where it's gotten me and my family. I'm, I'm, I'm not okay with this. This is, this is all a big farce. And you know, what was it? It was like 1992, 93, 94, right in there. So there weren't a whole heck of a lot of options for a Midwestern kid, you know, at that time. And um, I, so at that point I did experiment with psychedelics and, and that was, those were some, some of those early experiences really uh, awakened me to uh, what, to the interrelated nature of life. Mm -hmm. Right. And they opened me up as obviously, you know, about, and I'm, I'm imagining most of our listeners know about, and yet that was all done recreationally, mm -hmm. right? It was just me and my buddies we were kids. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Yeah. Um, and yet something deep, deep, deep was touched inside of me. Well, I got to a point where um, after some, some self-destructive experiences with that, that were really, really challenging, some bad trips, so to speak, mm -hmm. I got to the point where it was very clear to me, okay, I'm not going to continue on this path of psychedelics, but there is something about that consciousness, right? Like if, if that level of consciousness is possible in an assisted manner, then it must be possible otherwise. Right. And that really set me forth on a path that combined with my love for nature. Um, and the other thing I didn't mention was I always had a deep, deep fascination with indigenous culture growing up. Um, I had an early experience when I was maybe six or seven. My dad took us out west, you know, and like seeing the Colorado Rockies for the first time in the Grand Canyon and the Badlands of South Dakota. Those moments spoke to my soul. And to think that they were people still living close to the earth that still embodied that deep connection. I just knew I wanted that, you know, I didn't know anything. I was totally naive. So uh, after college, I, I still remember this, the day I graduated, I was like, okay, because I kind of had my awakening somewhere in there during sophomore, junior year. And I was like, well, what do I do? Do I do I, you know, kind of shift gears and change my major to something that has to do with nature and all this it was really funny at the time. My major was in computer science, right? Mm. And um, and I was like, no way, you know, I'm, I'm, I've played by the rules enough. I'm just going to get my degree and 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 go find my own path. And so I did. And the day I graduated college, I I had one friend who I'd met through synchronicity, uh, who was living out on the Navajo Indian Reservation in Northeast Arizona. And she invited me out there and I was like, are you kidding? Absolutely. So I got my, I still remember this, getting in my truck, right? The, literally the day after graduation, packed everything I had in the back of my truck and drove 40 hours nonstop oh. <laughs> all day, all night. There's um, that childlike excitement again. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that was a big journey. You know, there was, there was a lot of steps in there, but I wound up living on, with the Navajos for a, a couple of years, very different experience, right? Being like, honestly, a privileged white male. Um, and not that I even really had full consciousness of that at that point, mm -hmm. but certainly I wasn't used to being the minority, right. you know? And there were some big lessons in there, kind of learning the hard way about what it is to, you know, heartfully enter into another culture with different norms and different cultural mores and all of that, right? Um, 
so that led to, it was really interesting. What I was looking for, I think, Alex, was that deep spiritual connection to nature, that deep spiritual nature-based connection to myself, mm. but a practical one, like one with feet on the earth, right? Yeah. Like one that's something I could sink my teeth into. Um, I knew that the, the, the story, the narrative of the, of, the, of the modern experience wasn't working for me. And I was really looking, what, okay, what is this alternative? And, you know, um, on the Navajo reservation, I mean, there was, there was ups and downs, right? On the one hand, uh, you know, a lot of their cultural traditions had been broken and lost. Um, you know, on the other hand, you had some certain individuals who were making a very strong commitment to upholding what they, what they do have. Um, most folks were really, you know, hands off when it came to opening up to a white guy, uh, and yet there was a, just a small handful that, that opened their hearts to me. Now, for me, being a sensitive guy, I just, I've always kind of led with my heart, whether I've wanted to or not, you know, it's just been me. And that, that opened things up. I'll never forget this. You know, it was really funny, Alex, because like, I remember the first time going to the grocery store and walking in the grocery store and feeling like, oh my God, all these eyes are on me and like mm -hmm. judgment day or something, right. you know, and well, who am I, what am I doing here? And I remember it being tough to connect with, with people. Mm -hmm. um, and so one thing led to the next, I wound up falling in love and with a girl up in Ashland, Oregon, after some traveling and, and uh, after about a year and a half decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to move up there to be with her, uh, Janine, who's now my wife. And that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, but at that time they, they said, okay, um, we're going to, um, they said, we've got a, we got a party that we're going to throw for you. It's up in the sky room, the big conference room. So oh, that's funny that, uh, cause they were just telling me this like the day of and, and, uh, and so sure enough, I go up there and here's everybody from the whole company, you know, that I was working at a hundred people, people who I thought, honestly, either didn't notice me or just didn't like me and definitely didn't want to interact mm -hmm. with me. And they had, it was this giant farewell party and they had this huge sheet cake, farewell, Tim, and, you know, they sat me down and there was this huge honoring and everyone lined up to shake my hand and say a few words of appreciation. Um, the women combed my hair down and tied it in the traditional Navajo tie and the elder came forward and honored me saying, you know, um, you have opened your heart to us and you always have a place here. You're one of us now. Mm -hmm. you know, gifts were presented, medicine gifts and other gifts. And I'm just like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't think you people even liked me or right. noticed me or what is all of this? I was super confused, you know? Mm -hmm. And so one of the women who was kind of like an auntie uh, saw what was going on for me and, and she kind of pulls me aside and says, Tim, Tim, you know, I, 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 it looks like you're kind of confused now, huh? I'm like, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> Gloria. And she's like, well, let, let me help you out. So us Navajos, you know, your, your people, the, the white people and my people, have a long history. I'm, I know you know that. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, so understandably, we're, we're slow to open up, but we're, we, we notice, we've noticed you, we've noticed your, your big heart. And this is our way of expressing that to you. And actually, this is our way of asking you, will you stay? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what really? Cause there's this whole ethic of, um, 
indirect communication mm -hmm. that indigenous cultures oftentimes use. It's very different than we as Americans or Westerners right. are used to communicating that it's not oftentimes direct and it's about respecting the sovereignty of the other individual right. or not group. trying to manipulate them into doing something just exactly and so that and this was really interesting i'm like wow okay but i felt it right like it landed for me and, and mm -hmm. being sensitive i could i could feel the truth of this well i was in love man and i was like are you kidding me uh it was love that brought me here but my heart is calling me up to be with the love of my life my mm -hmm. soulmate and i don't think i can do this so she actually gloria the woman the auntie she actually sent a letter up to Janine and petitioned her to come down and come move down. <laughs> well, Janine wouldn't have anything to do with it. She had her own path going on. So mm. we left. And so while I didn't find, you know, the pathways of deep spiritual connection to the earth outwardly in the way that I kind of wanted to through my interactions with the people, um, those early seeds were planted. So fast forward, I moved up to Oregon. We got together um, we moved back down to the Southwest and heard about a wilderness school actually starting up in on the East Coast. Um, and when we got involved in that, and this was and this was kind of more of the outward expression um, of the vision that was living inside of me, right, that that was now taking manifest outwardly. So we got involved in this school and they were teaching wilderness survival and they were teaching how to track animals and wild medicinal and edible plants and how to learn the language of the birds. Um, there was a whole kind of cultural mentoring, nature-based mentoring process going on where the ways that teaching was happening was not um, in alignment with, you know, modern schooling, but much more earth-based. Um, the schools were all led by white folks, but there were a series, a, a, I don't know, a handful, maybe a half dozen indigenous elders and leaders from around the country um, who were like consultants who would come in and teachers as well who would come in and share teachings to, to bring this model forward. And I'll tell you what, Alex, I just, I came so alive. You know, at that point there was, um, I remember early on reading about the power of the vision quest that, mm. uh, you know, that, that we all have a vision, a purpose, a deep calling in this life. And the great adventure of life is to figure out what is that and, and go seek it and go seek to fulfill that. Um, you know, the sweat lodge and other earth-based ceremonial practices, but all of it, you know, kind of this balance, right, between the ceremonial teachings and the very practical, like, here's how you get food and build a shelter. Right. And for me as like a 25 year old at the time, I, it, it so spoke to the archetype of provider. Cause mm. I was like, what is up with the fact that I'm dependent on grocery stores and phones right. and, you know, roadway systems and all of this. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not okay with that. I wanted to know that I could provide for myself, mm. you know, just on a basic way, not to say that I want to go live in a cave, um, although that wouldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> a little while. But, right, right. But I wanted to know I had a real relationship. And, and I somehow intuitively knew, Alex, that if I could do that, that there would be a spiritual connection that would come forth on the other side of that physical connection. And I think that's one of the things I see that's missing for so many people today is I think so many people are aware of like, yes, there's a spiritual connection to nature that's our birthright. And 
and yes, and, and no, it's not present in the modern American dream. But oftentimes I think what's missed is the very real feet on the ground, physical connection to nature in the five senses, you know, before we get to <laughs> the imaginal and the intuitive mm -hmm. and, the, and all of that and intuition. Um, that's very, very real that that's part of us coming into our, our great sir, our great calling, our great purpose, our great vision. So anyhow, um, we gave everything we had, my wife and I did to that and, you know, five years and went on my first vision quest, you know, four days alone, praying, fasting uh, in the wilderness, focused on the one big question, right? What is my purpose? Mm -hmm. Why am I here? What is my vision? And that was a whole eco psycho spiritual adventure. Okay. Um, anyhow, to kind of wrap this up, you know, that was early on. So that was what? That was 20 years ago. That was 2000 when I did my first vision quest and we'd kind of landed in that community that was up, up, up in Vermont. Um, but that set the stage for the next, a lot of the next work for the next 15 years, kind of the primary, what would be the primary arc of my journey for the next 15 years because we did five years at the Vermont school um, wrapped that up wandered the nation landed in Idaho started our school here got married had two boys and really fully dedicated ourselves to this spiritual mission of connecting people with the earth in those practical ways knowing full well that as we did so the deeper spiritual connection would emerge as it had for me. And, and through it all, man, I mean, I took my healing journey, right? I'm facing all those childhood traumas and wounds, um, you know, was able to come around on the other side of that after doing enough healing work to find, you know, not just peace with it, but gratitude for all of that. Right. And, and then the most recent chapter was, you know, so after about what, 10 years or so, maybe 12, of running the school, man, that was my jam, right, Alex? Like I would, you know, we'd run, I don't know, a year long wilderness immersion program at college level for adults. And it would just wildly change their lives. Mm -hmm. We'd just awaken them. Uh, we'd run a big summer camp seasons with running 300 kids through, you know, our camps that are just like amazing adventures into wild nature. And they come so alive, you know, and I can't tell you how many times I had moms or individuals tell me, wow, Tim, you, you changed my life. You saved my life. Right. Um, and so this was always my jam, right? I was like, this was, this is why I do what I do. And that deep feeling of fulfillment. So this is maybe five years ago, we just wrapped up a summer camp season and you know, all of those, it was very successful. All those same comments. Oh my God, this is so good. And yet it landed in me flat. It was like I had just washed the dishes or something. <laughs> and I was freaking out. I was like, kind of, I was like, what is going on? Like, this is, why am I not feeling fulfilled? Right. Like, I know the work's still working, but this is doing nothing for me. And so I went back to my mentors. I went back to the land. I went back to the vision quest. And of course, long story short, I was evolving. And what was becoming clear to me was that no longer could my stated, you know, intention be about connecting people with nature, with the side effect of activating vision and purpose. Mm -hmm. But now I needed to flip it. Now I needed to be very, very intentionally connecting people with vision and purpose using a nature-based approach. And so I would still awaken that deep nature connection in people, 
But importantly, at that time, the guidance I received was it is time for you to awaken people's connection to their vision. That's what led me to start Purpose Mountain, you know, and that's what I do now. I made the connection with Aubrey Marcus, you know, it was that a couple of years ago, went down on his podcast. And of course, then we wound up together at, at his uh, mastermind down there in Tahoe. And, and that brings us here. So it, <laughs> it was a bit of a circle. long, long-winded story, but uh, hopefully Perfect. there's some good gems in there for folks. Absolutely. Yeah. There's some stuff that I totally want to dive in on that jumps out to me because I, I think yeah. some of it mirrors my own yeah. story and what I've noticed personally. And you, you touched on the word sensitive a lot mm-hmm. and, you know, for myself, I've used the terminology like hyper empath and it's funny. Yes. yes although we've perhaps used slightly different modalities to get there. For me, it's been psilocybin mushrooms consistently. Mm-hmm. We've both sought out silence and solitude and deep mm-hmm. inner, just like loss of the ego self and connection yes. to something bigger than ourselves. Because I, I find, and tell me if this is true for you as well, but oftentimes especially in Western society where we are so buffeted around by people who are not in touch with their emotions and circumstances Mm -hmm. in which it's maybe less okay to be sensitive or less okay to be, you know, emotionally available and heart Mm -hmm. forward. Um, I can find society really exhausting a lot of the times. Oh yeah. (laughs) So these resets are just so important. Uh, Yeah. Big time. Yeah, and I want to dive a little bit in on trauma because I think it's such an interesting piece mm-hmm. of it that is really interrelated. You know, most people mm-hmm. often don't get yeah, silent even for a breath. Right. And so they're living their life in a continual numbing cycle. And whether mm-hmm. that's numbing with work or numbing with alcohol or numbing, whatever it may be, they they never take that second to get silent because they're worried mm-hmm. what might come up. So I'm just, I'm curious about how, as you started mm-hmm. to, dive into nature how that started to unfold yeah. both the pieces of trauma for you and just like what did that look like and how did it yeah. end up serving you that's a great question alex so um i've always held and i've just found this personally right so maybe i'll kind of again go back to my own story here so in those early years of of really uh, in my 20s where i was you know had the capacity for a deep self consciousness like consciousness of self um unlike my childhood years uh what i found was that as i took the journey of deeply connecting with nature just on the physical right so i mean learning the plants and the animals of my and the trees and the mountains and the creeks of my bioregion activating the five senses stretch learning to stretch my sense of hearing for learning to pick up the quietest sounds um, learning to, you know, really develop my sense of feeling, of feeling the earth, learning to move silently. Um, there's a whole array of development that happens in that journey. And I think importantly, like what we need to recognize too, just a little tangent is that for hundreds of thousands of years, this was the developmental process for human beings. Right. Like we have lived close to the earth for 99.999% of our time on earth. It's maybe a few hundred, maybe a few thousand years. If you want to look at the kind of agricultural revolution, 
it's still just a tiny blip in time that humans have lived disconnected from nature. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a big experiment. Like what happens when we do this? Well, I think we're starting to see the, <laughs> a lot of bad the results. <laughs> but my point being that when that, what I would hold as a basic developmental need for a human being takes place, that connection with nature on the physical sensory level, um, we are sensitized even further. I certainly was, and this is what everyone goes through like at, at our school. And so, you know, our awareness increases. That's the whole journey mm. of nature is increasing awareness, right? If I want to track down that coyote, I've got to pay attention to the, the depressions in the ground. Mm. You know, if I want to learn to harvest wild food for myself, if it's whether that's plants or animals, I've got to learn those plants and pay attention. Where do they grow in the big picture and where do they show up in, the, in, in specifically? You know, it's a journey of awareness. And so as my internal awareness increased, Alex, uh, sorry, my, uh, my awareness of the external, as my awareness of the external increased, I couldn't, there's a natural and organic response of the internal awareness of my, all the parts of myself that increases as well. And the journey of connecting with nature is about slowing down and listening. Very, very different, right, of course, than the modern experience. And so all that time, you know, my mentors used to say, like, you know, for example, when I first went to a mentor and said I wanted to do a vision quest, the first thing he told to me was, okay, go find a spot in nature and sit there for at least 30 minutes a day, every day for a year. And I was like, okay, I, I was like, that great. sounds great. You know, <laughs> bring it on. I, I was shocked to find that people would have the hard time doing that. Right. But I did that, you know. So like just sitting still in the quiet mind hmm. without trying to achieve anything. I'm not going for big visions or anything here. Just learning to be with myself, with nature. So all what happens, this great awareness as the awareness of the external increases, the awareness of the internal increases. And I realized, oh my God, I am not at peace with all kinds of shit. I'm not at peace with the abuse that happened. I'm not at peace with the bullying that took place. I've got a really low self-esteem. I mean, I was such a different person. I could have never imagined <laughs> the audacity right. of getting on and being recorded. You know, I would have freaked. I just wouldn't have done it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so slowly what started happening was I became very aware of all of these wounds, right? That I was carrying. And I think partly because of my sensitivity and partly because of my nature, right? Um, I was really drawn to the healing journey early on. Like I had a lot of peers I know had just as much trauma um, 20 years ago, you know, and yet they weren't as drawn to the healing journey, but I really was. And at that time in our kind of wilderness school movement, there weren't, there wasn't deep healing integrated into the into the movement so i had to really push outward i would i went to some of those elders and they they knew this journey but you know it wasn't like it was common everyday practice in at the wilderness schools themselves um so i had to kind of push and seek it out um based on my wounds i had really turned my back to the modern world i was like fuck the modern world this mm -hmm. is bullshit like i don't want to have anything to do with you so I was very like anti-therapy and anti-psychology and all of that. And I was like, oh, holding up indigenous wisdom up here, like this is the path, right? And I'll tell you what, I mean, I can't tell you how many sweats and ceremonies and pipe ceremonies and mm. vision quests I did 
just just for the looking for the healing alone, Alex. I mean, that was a huge, huge part of it, right? Um, obviously, there was a lot more to those ceremonies than just healing, but that was huge. And I, it took me a certain distance. I mean, it, it brought me alive. I, I did come to a certain level of healing through that. Uh, enough to like, you know, find the confidence to get married and have kids and start up my own school. I mean, that was huge, mm -hmm. huge, huge, huge. I transformed so much. I healed so much. But I've always, I've relentlessly followed my, my vision, you know? And so it was interesting. So it was about at that stage, you know, let's see. And I think here, it was probably 10 years ago. So it's around 2010. What I started finding was that I was hitting all these ceilings, these glass ceilings with my relationship as a dad, with my wife, um, with my school as a leader. And meanwhile, you know, I was, I was finding more and more pain in my life. And it was really clear to me that, okay, there's a deeper healing that's needed. So something shifted at that time. And I, for me, and what, what it was, was no longer, I, I, what I realized was through, through a vision quest actually was that I, it was time for me to open back up to the modern experience and no longer hold my back to the modern world, that there was medicine there too. Yeah. And so at that point, I took a whole other journey of diving into men's work and, you know, mankind project. And I joined a, the new warrior training adventure, you know, men's work and uh, deep emotional uh, maturity work and healing work on that front, which is really, really different than, you know, indigenous wisdom approaches. Uh, I found a therapist, you know, I got involved and I loved this. I found this whole model of, of parts work and working with subpersonalities right. called voice dialogue and, you know, fell in love with this and found myself completely, well, first it was just for me, right? And like, I found deep healing, frankly, really quickly. And I was kind of, it was, it was a mind blower, Alex, because I was like, oh my God, like, I kind of felt like, <laughs> you know, pretty humbled because I was like, wow, this stuff has just like rocked my world in a pretty quick period of time. And it's been available this whole time. And I knew how much I had suffered. And so it was a really humbling moment to realize, wow, there's big medicine available strictly from the modern experience, you know, that has nothing to do with nature directly or indigenous wisdom that had a lot to offer me. And so as I opened myself up to that, interesting, what I found was it was really the combination, you know what I mean? Because there, there were definitely, there are definitely aspects to modern psychotherapy and men's work, um, you know, human development type work there's definitely pieces that are missed when it comes to the deep journey of connecting with soul and nature. But they also, I, you know, I had to contend with the fact, look, I'm a white guy. I was raised in America. Totally. I, I'm not an Indian, you know, mm -hmm. and, and this, this work is designed literally was created for people like me and, and that's okay. You know? And so it was the coming together of all that. I think really that, that freed me, you know, I'll, I'll, let me share a little story and then I'll, I'll pause and, and get your reflection. But I had this experience where I was leading a boy's rite of passage, right? I, I love rite of passage work, uh, formal rite of passage where we're formally defining a moment where the boy is no longer a boy and he's now stepping into becoming a young man. And this is wilderness based and there's solos and ceremonies involved. And um, anyhow, so we were doing a, a uh, what was it? It was the post solo ceremony and which was a sweat and a sweat lodge. And there was one guy in particular who I had made a, you know, uh, 
particularly strong connection with. If, if for, for those of us that are mentors, you know, uh, what happens is there are certain students that really we resonate with. And I love all my students, you know, but um, there's a certain few that just, oh, it's, it's like our souls are entwined, yeah. right? And anyway, so he, he was one of them. And in the sweat, I could see that he was, his trauma was wanting to come out mm -hmm. and, and be birthed for the first time. I knew him well enough to know he had never birthed that trauma and he was having a hard time and he needed some encouragement. Well, that's what mentors are for. And so I was just gently encouraging him. And I'll tell you what, Alex, he just popped. Mm -hmm. um, he, <laughs> much like myself, he's very dramatic, uh, you know, his cathartic crying and mm -hmm. wailing and not everyone, it doesn't look like that for everyone, of course, yeah. but for him, it did, you know, yeah. and, and he just, he came out of the sweat and was just bawling and bawling a lot, so yeah. intense, his body was trembling and shaking, he was clearly releasing, from a somatic perspective, he was clearly releasing his trauma, and I, I knew how to hold space for this, it was, uh, that level of depth was kind of new and a little edgy for me at the mm -hmm. time, and it was really new for the, all my staff. So all my staff were like freaking out, uh -oh. like, what is happening? <laughs> and now all the other initiates start dropping, right? They go, they're going down like dominoes because once this one mm -hmm. went- Got permission. It, it, was a, it, it was just, yeah, the momentum. <laughs> and so there I was holding space for him. And I had this moment, this transcendent moment, this deep spiritual moment that I, it was like a landmark moment among my spiritual journey, Alex. And what it was, was this, was there I was, you know, my hand on his shoulder and I'm just like holding space for him. Just like, you're doing great. Let it out. Let your body shake. And I realized in this moment, my, I went all the way back to my trauma, my early trauma, my, my abuse and my, my bullying and the divorce. And it was the wildest experience because what I experienced was this intense gratitude. Like I was intensely mm. thankful that I had gone through those experiences because I knew if I hadn't, I would not be here holding space for this young man. I just wouldn't. And it was such a trip. It was surreal to like, these were the same experiences that I had put in a black box and sworn to God, I would never uh, talk about, or, you know, they would never see the light of day. And here I was like, not just at peace with them, Alex, but grateful for those experiences. And that was wildly transformational yeah. for me. I mean, that was fully on the other side. There's, that's the sacred gift and the sacred wound, right? Two sides of the same coin. And there it was. And I was just like, wow. Uh, I was so, so grateful for that. So yeah, maybe I'll pause there. But that's, uh, that was a uh, the healing journey. And it, it continues to unfold. It's not like it's over. Right. But I do think and I do think I have arrived and I think we can arrive at a place where we're on the other side of it like that, right? Yeah. Where most of the healing work has been completed and most of our life energy can be put towards manifesting our vision. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I, yeah. I love the idea and it seems to be a recurring truth, but oftentimes with the right materials present, that alchemy of your biggest traumas into your biggest gifts can happen in an instant. Yes. And yeah it's encouraging because sometimes it's just about finding what those materials are. And, you know, what I really like about your approach, even just as we did the soul wander, which we'll touch on later in the podcast, but yeah. we, it was a blending. It wasn't purely here's the absolute traditional way it was done. And I think for those of us that are white or just live in modern Western society, regardless yeah. of race, there's a, 
a blended approach that can be effective because, mm-hmm. you know, there's some level of, I find this often in plant medicine work that there's, there's the traditional and it's beautiful and steeped in culture and it has so much wisdom in it, but there's a lot of assumptions as well. It's like, well, you're living in the forest every day, right? Like, no. <laughs> oh, no way. Oh, okay. Well, we don't have anything that's going to help you quite as much then because you're not keeping this baseline that people in past cultures have been able to keep. So that's where the Western tools kind of come in the therapy. And it's like the blended approach of the two to allow you to connect more deeply with what is our heritage to be Mm -hmm. outdoors and to be in nature and to be in these rites of passage, which Mm -hmm. I want to talk more about as well. Yeah. It's, just as important and oftentimes i i find that something like nature can be a it allows you to give you get your head above the water enough Mm -hmm. for you to approach these other parts yeah and i see that experience repeated over and over again and people that i work Mm -hmm. with and i'm sure you've seen the same thing it's like oh for a second they're not drowning anymore Right. And then they can look at things logically and be like, oh, here's what's going on over here. Huh. I don't think I want to keep making that decision. Let's try a different path. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I guess the next following question would just be rites of passage. Because I think mm-hmm. especially for young men mm-hmm. and perhaps just because that's what I'm more familiar with as a uh, as a wounding or as an area that doesn't have good structures currently Mm -hmm. kind of what does the process look like and what is the process of a young man going through a rite of passage and like you know perhaps even just a broad definition like what is the purpose of a rite of passage yeah absolutely that's great yeah sure and oftentimes the term rite of passage is used um, interchangeably with the term initiation Mm -hmm. And I like to differentiate the two. So I would say that a rite of passage is a subset of, or a type of initiation. So an initiation is a significant event that happens um, that is transformational to the, at the core level of, of a human being going through it. So we might go through many, many initiations in life. Um, and it could be something like a car accident or um, something really, you know, really, really big, like becoming a parent or it could be, oh, that time I, I first tried psychedelic medicine mm-hmm. or um, all kinds of things, you know, an illness. Um, a rite of passage, I think there's only a handful of rite of passages that we go through. I would define a rite of passage as an initiation serving the function of marking the transition from one major life stage to the next. Yep. And there's only so many life stages we have where it's like birth, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, maybe parenting in there, and then like elder, becoming an elder and then dying. So that's like what, six or seven, right? And I think it's important that we use that terminology accordingly, because if we don't, if we use rite of passage, in, in my definition, you know, when we mean initiation, then what term do we have <laughs> to mark the gr- the bigger changes right. in life that are so important and obviously so missing? So what is a rite of passage? Yeah, it's an initiation that marks the transition between one major life stage and the next. And if we look back to the old cultures, 
they certainly held, and I hold this too, that a rite of passage is essential for the health of the culture or the community as a sen- and as essential as like an arm is to the human body. It's just, it is part of it. Yeah. Uh, meaning that the rite of passage is not just for the individual going through it, but it is for the whole community. So when an individual goes off and they're seeking, you know, this next life stage where they're seeking their purpose, seeking their vision, they're look- yearning to find medicine, right? Uh, hopefully in the natural world, and bring that back so that they can be of service to the community. Excuse me. And the community needs the people, especially the young people, to go out in search of that medicine because that is the gift for the community. The community's health is dependent on those gifts from the natural world coming through the experience of the individual being transformed through the rite of passage to bring that gift back to the community, right? So it's held in a community mentoring, cultural mentoring approach. And that's definitely the old, old way, right? The rites of passages were just a single node in a much bigger journey. So I know the term is really sexy and it gets a lot of attention. Um, And there's frankly, lots of organizations that just hold rites of passage. Like you can just sign up and you you don't know these people and you're going to sign up, do your rite of passage and come back. And it's beautiful. There's a lot of medicine there, but but, but, but I think something key is missing. And that is those long-term relationships. Well, what happens when we get a, a culture in one place, right. you know, that has mentors and has youth and has parents and has young adults and has elders and a shared story, a shared narrative, a shared value around nature. Now, so the rite of passage in that context is very, very different. What happens when the kid was like born into this culture and they had friends and older friends and mentors and all those elders who all, you know, went through rites of passage. And as they grow, they know it's coming and they know they have people who care for them, who see them, who value their stories, who know their strengths and encourage those and know their weaknesses and help them through those. Right when they come to their point of rite of passage, there's an incredible amount of rapport that's present with the mentors. Their parents are more like typically brothers or sisters of the mentor of the the initiation leader, the rite of passage leader, and there's an incredible amount of trust. And so that's how I, that's what we're trying to approximate here with our wilderness school, right? Like I didn't start leading rites of passage until uh, eight years after starting the school, right? So imagine like eight years of running our wilderness school. This is the in-person programs, working with a lot of youth and adults, building relationships, um, kids coming back. You know, I had, when I started Rites of Passage, I had 13 year old boys who I had mentored since they were five. And I was, you know, like a brother or relationship with, with their parents, total trust, you know, now they had so much going for them, Alex. You know, they, they had made their deep nature connection. They, were at, they knew how to survive in the woods. They, they knew how to be at peace with the quiet mind. They had so much going for them. So when it came time for the rite of passage, the depth we were able to achieve, right. we were able to achieve is way, 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 way different than taking some 14-year-old off the street, you know, <laughs> and being like, okay, go, go for it. Go to the woods it. for three days. Good luck. And you can do that. And yeah. there's ways to do that. And, I've, and frankly, I've done that. 
But consistently, I mean, it, this is common sense, consistently the impact is much, much deeper. So I would argue that a real rite of passage is just marking a point on the developmental journey hmm. and that there are tasks, developmental tasks that need to be completed prior to that, yeah. right? Because to, to go through a rite of passage is to complete that previous life stage. So you have to address all that's incomplete right. and you have to heal all that's unhealed, right? And done well, this is what we found is that done well, you know, cause that adolescent rite of passage, it's not, it might be like a 24 hour solo, you know, it's not on the level of like a four day vision quest, um, but it's the early seeds of activating vision and purpose in a human being. So done well, I mean, I have lots of students that are now, God, I mean, I've been doing this long enough. I got guys in there males and females in their mid twenties that I've mentored since they were 10, you know, and you know, by that, when they hit 21, it was like, you know, and just that general age range, early twenties, they were just activated, man. And like, it was, it was like, there wasn't a whole lot needed. Yeah. Maybe they went out, went and did ayahuasca or maybe they went and did um, a vision quest, but it was, you know, 90% of the work had already been done. Yeah. And, and they didn't have all the crazy, insane wounds that I was dealing with at that same stage. It was a whole other deal. So a big part of my work as well is this commitment to what we call uh, cultural you know, renewal or cultural regeneration. Um, I don't think it's enough to just look at it on the individual level. I think we have to look at it on the community level. And that's what rites of passage really, I think, at the deepest level ask us to do. Yeah, I love that idea. And I think it's so important it's what i see with plant medicine work as well and obviously there's just a ton of parallels but one of the things i see is if you can come to a ceremony with five of your close friends Mm. and they can witness you in those moments of vulnerability and rawness and breakthroughs the ceremony is going to have two times three times the impact than if you fly to peru do it oh, yeah. by yourself, which is still, again, beautiful. Oh, yeah. beautiful. People have breakthroughs beautiful. like yeah. that. But there's this, I always say that the ego is very tricky and it can work in very subtle ways. And one of the subtle ways it works is if you fly over somewhere that has no association with your normal day-to-day life and do something, the ego will write that off as a one-off and will not mm-hmm. feel any social pressure to uphold perhaps the values that you saw in ceremony and so just the the wisdom of kids that you've worked with for many many years and then they undergo the rite of passage and there's this sort of like additional level of like you know perhaps it's the rite of passage into adulthood like oh well Mm -hmm. now i am seen as an adult by the actual members of my own community and therefore i have not just a a right to yeah. these new parts of my life, but also a responsibility yes. to my exactly. community. And exactly. It's such an important piece that I think often, you know, as you're saying, gets missed of like you go, yeah. you fly away. And that could be great for breakthroughs, like getting to oh, see yeah. yourself. But it's yeah. imperative. Something I tell people often is it's imperative upon each of us to, if you don't have that where you live, to then create that where you live, because that's yes. what makes it sustainable and that's what allows your node to stay lit and then the other nodes to come online around you and then those nodes to spread out further and to make things better so so good yeah i mean it's this whole conversation of kind of the intensive 
versus the routines of our of the transformational journey. Like I think they're both really essential. Yes, you can have that ayahuasca ceremony down in Peru that you've never been to before, and maybe you won't ever go to again, or maybe you will. And that's the immersion, that's the intensive. But the other half of the circle is what are the routines you have back home to keep all of that alive as you're speaking. And it's really interesting when, when we do rites of path, one of the requirements um, is that the young person holds a giveaway and a giveaway is a traditional indigenous um, ceremony that's actually cross-culturally present um, in pretty much every, certainly North American indigenous community I've connected, had the honor of connecting with they all have some form of the giveaway. And what I mean by that is an event that an individual holds. It's like a, like a not a party, but you know, it, it's a gathering. Um, and in the giveaway, the person prepares a big meal. It's not a potluck, right? You prepare the meal, you serve your people and you prepare gifts. And this is very, very common in indigenous cultures. And it's seen, uh, it's got a multi-function, it's a multi-function event on the one hand. So like at the end of the rite of passage, uh, if I have a young man who's gone through a rite of passage, this is his way of saying thank you back to the communities, his way of saying thank you for raising me into the person I am today. I'm giving back to you. So he's demonstrating leadership. He's got to get out of his small self and find his power to speak to the people and prepare gifts and speak from his heart. And as well, he tells a bit of his story enough so that he, as you're saying, Alex, he can be seen in his new role. And, and feel that responsibility of real relationships, not just something that happened that's floating out there, but real relationships grounded in, in real life. You know, his family, his community, his teachers, his friends. And spiritually, uh, what that does, so that is kind of bringing the medicine back to the community, but spiritually what it's seen is, I was, all, I was had the blessing of being mentored by an old Lakota holy man, uh, Gilbert Walking Bull, and he would say, he would say all the gifts that are received in a, in a ceremony, you know, a vision quest or a sweat or uh, any kind of spiritual transformational ceremony are given with a string. And the spirits are holding the other end of that string. And at any time they can pull that string back. And there's one way to cut the string. And he'd say, he, would, he would say, you know what the scissors are? And we all be like, what, what, what? And he would say, it's the giveaway. When you do the giveaway, it's your communication to the spirits. In, in that tradition, you would do a little spirit plate. You take a little plate and get the first bite of food, a little sampling from, from the dish that was prepared. And before anyone ate it, you put that on a spirit plate and offer that up to the spirits. Mm. And that was like the essence of the giveaway on a spiritual level, because you're feeding the spirits, feeding the ancestors. And that completes it. And he said that was cutting the string so that they didn't have that string and they couldn't could no longer pull it back then the medicine was fully yours interestingly because you've given it away to the yeah. people and to the spirits yeah 100 i love that yeah. the word that arises for me is like gratitude and it, yes. i often something i reflect to people is to not get bogged down in the semantics of whether it's literal ancestor spirits or the idea of ancestor spirits in that moment and in that ritual, what's being communicated is gratitude for the lessons learned and the power gained. And right. the best expression of gratitude is to share that out. It's a force multiplier. Like yeah. when I share my gratitude, my joy, and my love, I end up with more of it. <laughs> and right. It's right. amazing. It grows. <laughs> so why not do that? And it's, you know, 
a vision I yeah. talk about often is just the vision. A, so a good, good visualization is for someone to think of themselves and to imagine standing behind you every ancestor it took for you to get mm -hmm. here right now. Yeah. And just how yeah. unimaginably large that mob of people is behind you for yeah. you to be here in this exact moment. And to reflect on that and just hold, just even if it's once a week, a moment of gratitude for that. Like, okay, even if everything feels really bad right now, yeah, yeah the world's a little bit crazy, but for you to be here is a pretty big Total miracle. miracle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it, man. I love it. And that would be a great thing for people. I mean, I, I mean, it, that's a practical thing, I think, for our listeners is if you're going off and doing a significant ceremony, whether it's plant medicine or vision quest or something else, incorporate some sort of giveaway. It doesn't have to be all, you know, you don't have to go all out. I mean, you can, but gather people together that are going to be open to your story, feed them, you know, present some gifts one way or another, share your story, allow you in a sacred container, you know, where you can really be heard and the transformation can be felt by them and witnessed and they can help hold you accountable, right? They yeah. can help hold you to this new version of yourself that you have stepped into. Yeah, that's a great thing for people. Yeah, I love it. Okay, um, awesome. I like getting into the tactical things people can take home as well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the soul wander now. That was something I found uh, very yeah. impactful and it's sort of a shortened version of a vision quest, you could say. Very shortened. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah. So I guess just describe a little bit of what that looks like and some pieces of that that people can perhaps bring into their own practice to yeah. awaken some of this awareness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a practice I've I've been doing for years and I mean, it's honestly decades, Alex, but in terms of working with it as an offering, it's just the last few years that it's really... I think come into fruition for me, right? Um, so it's a simple practice that you can do in as short as a couple of hours, or it could be as long as a full day. I think a traditional soul wander would be like sunrise to sunset. Um, but it is, so it's, it's not as intensive as a vision quest or a, a major rite of passage, but it's one of these routines that we were talking about that, okay, so you have the big intensives and then you have these routines. So this is more like in the realm of routine. A lot of folks, when they learn about this, they might do it once a week or once a month as a way to just stay connected. And the idea of a soul wander is, um, well, we can kind of break it down. So soul wander. So soul, what is soul? Soul is like our deepest essence. Um, it's where we find ourselves interrelated with all things. Soul is both inside us and it's of outside us. It's of the world, right? Um, our soul belongs to us as much as it belongs to the world. Um, so like the idea of connect, when we connect with soul, it, it, you know, I was talking about this in Tahoe. It's like, I, I would offer for people, don't think of it so much as an aspect of self, but more like a whole other realm where we can locate our identity. I could locate my identity as Tim and Tim's a good guy, or you could locate as Alex and Alex is a great guy. You know, I, I really like him. <laughs> But that's just one option. I can also be my soul. Mm -hmm. And when we locate our identity in our soul, then that's when we touch our, our purpose, we touch our power. Um, this is where it's all connected, right? And so to go on a soul wander, so then wander, soul wander. So what's a wander? Well, importantly, and I, I made this point again down in Tahoe, a wander is not a hike. Uh, this is really important, right? Because um, 
okay, so I'm not going from point A to point B. What am I doing? Well, you are moving, you can, um, but it's, so where are you going? Well, you're following the whispers of the heart, you're following the compass of the heart. You're simply wandering without any particular time or destination. You're not trying to get anywhere at any certain time. And that's really, really, really different than taking a walk through a park or going on a hike because our awareness follows our intention. And if the intention is always on the hike or always on whatever the thing is we're trying to do, and you know, then there's no room for surrender in there. The whole point of a soul wonder is to surrender. And to jump and, in for those that are out there listening. Yeah. I totally struggled with this. The first yeah. like half of my soul wander, the type A Western personality in me climbed the highest fucking peak. Oh yeah. Before oh, yeah. the other people <laughs> so that I could have the good spot so that I could have the most impactful experience. Oh, and yeah. after I was able to soften <laughs> away from that, was where the actual impact of the experience came. Yeah. But just to yeah. those that may struggle on the first time, it's okay. I feel oh, you. Absolutely. <laughs> and look, we all do. Listen, I, I can't tell you how many times. <laughs> and sometimes I still do. But yes, that's a really important point. So importantly, a soul wander is not about, yeah, conquering the heights or challenging the elements. It's about like finding balance and attunement with your own and surrendering to your own internal process and allowing that to be mirrored by nature, right? It's about recognizing the simple, kind of the two simplest laws of nature are life and death, like birth and death. Everything is born, everything dies. And that process is constantly unfolding inside of ourself. So nature becomes a mirror, as I was saying, and there's images, certain species or forms. It might be mountains, it might be a plant, it might be a chipmunk, it might be a grizzly bear. Uh, it, it could be anything and, or everything, but certain aspects of nature will be attracted to you and you'll be attracted to them. And they become not just a metaphor for the internal process, but a living, breathing reflection of it as, you know, I mean, I'm thinking, I, I, I know your listeners who are into plant medicine. So like those profound moments of deep spiritual connection, like that's all happening. Right. It's right here. All we have to do is take off the blinders. You know, the, what is it? Like, I'd love to say um, as much as we're seeking our vision, as much as we're seeking purpose or soul, soul is seeking us at mm. least as much. So sometimes the question isn't so much, how do I find it? The question is, how do I allow myself to be found? Mm. And then we get into the practices of the quiet mind, being still, slowing down, you know, letting go of that ego that's got to climb the highest mountain and get to the good spot before the other. I do. I totally do that, you know, <laughs> and like, and it's in the surrender where the real magic and the real medicine happens. And I think we know this, you know, I think most of us who've taken any, have got any experience with this journey know the power is in, yeah, intention and surrender. So coming to the soul wonder with a certain intention, that might be something really generic, like what, um, you know, what is it that's um, dying in me and what's being born? Mm -hmm. um, it might be something really specific, like, um, you know, uh, well, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, a, another great one would be like, what is the next step for me on my, on my purpose? The one intention I tell people not to do is 
don't go out there with the intention of what is my vision or what is my purpose because right. it's not a large enough container to hold that if you're if you're holding that intention you know do a big might quest. get lucky but <laughs> probably not yeah yeah probably not um so, you know, those are a few thoughts, but, um, you know, there's some basic taboos, like uh, you don't take food that day, uh, you don't interact with other humans. And I always tell people, like, sometimes people ask, oh, can I do it on my bike or on a canoe? And I'm like, no, 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 just, just you, your body and the earth. Or can I bring my dog? No, 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 your body and the earth. And entering into that experience where, yes, you know, physical reality is still physical reality, but importantly, it is also much more. It is a, the spiritual reality. We enter into the liminal, into the imaginal, into the spiritual realm. And, um, you know, all kinds of um, medicine can come from that, right, Alex? Like um, people have had profound healing journeys where they come up against, you know, so, uh, you know unconscious trauma might be revealed and they realize, oh my God, you know, um, this is my next level of healing. Um, their next level of the purpose work and visionary development work is it's you know prime for that kind of work so oftentimes people will get major insights into uh, what's coming next but yeah and and it's importantly as well and i think this really i can't be overstated enough it's also about maintaining and cultivating and deepening that connection with nature that is again what i would offer a developmental need for us as human beings and so all of the benefits, I mean, the science and the studies have all been done. I mean, connecting with nature is good for the body, the heart, the mind, the spirit. We know this, you know, we know we feel fully alive. We know we feel more healthy when we spend time in nature. We know some of our most bonding experiences, community building experiences happen out in nature. So importantly, the soul wander is a way to stay connected with the natural world. And yeah, I think the old adage is true. You know, as we connect with nature, we connect more with our own nature, right? And that's another way of looking at soul or purpose or vision is it's like our truest nature. Not so much what I want to be or who I want to be in the world, but really like who I'm meant to be. And I don't mean that in terms of like, there's a particular destiny, but you know, like for me, I mean, my sensitivity, my you know, kind of natural aptitude for the spiritual and consciousness work. I was born to do the work I do, you know, and there's other work that I don't do that my ego could go after, you know, but it, it's not true to me. And I've, I've done that, right? And sometimes that's how we really find ourselves is by figuring out what's not real. So this whole idea, this whole modern idea of you can be anything you want to be, it feels really liberating and free, but I think it's a disservice, man. I honestly do. I, I think there is like that deep soul is unique and there's unique gifts. Like I'm different from you. And just like a cedar tree is different from a fir tree. Yeah. And we each play a different role. We each have a different niche in the greater ecology of life that we occupy. And so again, back to this idea that vision is like this great adventure of what is my essential nature and how can I best embody that? So yes, there's a lot of different ways to do that. And we still have free will, but, um, but no, I don't think it's, as simple as or wide open as saying, yeah, you can be anything you want to be. It's you know? better perhaps to say there's something out there that you really want to be and you yeah. just have to discover it. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. And that's needed, right? That's another way to look at purpose or soul is there's a great quote by a theologian, Frederick Beekner, 
and he says soul or purpose is the place where uh, your deepest passions intersect with the world's deep hunger, mm. right? Which I love because again, it's not just about, you know, find your bliss. It's about find your bliss and where that intersects with making a difference in the world, okay. right? Um, which is really important. But yeah, those are a few, we're kind of getting out of tangent, but those are a few okay. thoughts on, on the soul wander. Yeah. 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 I love it. And I, one of the really impactful pieces that you provided was don't journal during. Yes. Yeah. And I really like that. And I've actually mm. since introduced it into other types of ceremonies that especially you know, look, if you, if you live in tune with nature, like maybe bring a journal with, if you are always in tune with nature for 99% of the people who are going to be consuming this podcast, you live in a Western paradigm of let me squeeze every possible drop out of the, out of this fruit. And yep. for me, that was really impactful to just slow down and just trust that the messages I need to receive yep. will be received and to show myself the trust that I'll be able yeah. to remember them like it, you know, our soul wander was what, like six hours all in all. Um, yeah. So it's like, yeah, I can probably remember this stuff for six hours. Chances yeah. are, but usually I wouldn't trust myself. I bring that notebook and every, right. I saw a stick and it must've meant this <laughs> and trying to decipher. There's a, right. there's a literal physiological change that goes on when you're in that processing mode. That's a totally different it's like you narrow your lens to exactly the thing rather than yes. having the wide lens of trying to take in everything. Yeah. And I really liked what you said about just as your awareness of nature expands, your inner awareness can expand. Mm -hmm. I, I look at it as nature because we are of nature contains endless metaphors for us. Yes. And you can find them, whether it's just in the park by your house and yep. you sit by a little pond for an hour and yep. you see a little duck and like the classic like it's paddling like crazy underneath but on top it's calm and then you see yep. yourself in that duck for a second and you go that's what i'm doing right now there oh. it is there i am Whoa. right <laughs> Beautiful. those those metaphors are just yeah. they're there everywhere yeah and it's only upon us to open our eyes enough to actually see them yeah. And it's hard to do that when my nose is buried in my journal. So that was a really oh, yeah. piece for me too. Totally, man. No, I, I love this. There's some great threads here. So, and I would offer that, you know, for a lot of folks, it might start as a metaphor. And, and if so, that's great. You know, and I welcome that. But I would offer that it's much more powerful than a metaphor as well. That there is a living, breathing connection that happens, yeah. you know, to say the, the, the duck uh, one story that you just mentioned, right? Like, at, at the deepest level, we ex we're all related, we're all connected, we're all as one. So a soul wander is an opportunity to experience that and to experience, yes, there's the metaphor and, and the teachings that'll come from that and the insights and the healing and the growth and all that. But there's also this experience of what is it like when I literally feel myself as one with that duck and I know it is me and I am it and I love it and it loves me and I feel that, you know, that is that is tapping into that deep oneness that is so essential. And I, I know a lot of folks experience an aspect of this through plant medicine, but to experience it in the living world, yeah. unassisted without entheogens um, to, to, and to live that day in, day out, Alex, there's such a love 
that emerges from that, this love for nature. And, you know, it's, this is a big one today because, um, because we're living in a world, my God, look at the world, look at the West coast burning down, you know, like more fires and more acres have burned in the last month than the last like 20 years or something. Um, look at the insanity of climate change and the political upheaval and the recession and all this madness, you know, like nature is, is showing us that we were on a path that is not sustainable. And this is, of course, these signs have been with us for years and now it's really getting exacerbated. Yeah. Coronavirus, the whole thing. Um, and so if, if this is so important, I mean, I'm going to come back to this again, the developmental need, critical need for human beings to, to, not just connect with nature, but to love it, to fall in love with it over and over, to realize we are nature. There's no separation. You know, it's from that place of deep love and passionate connection, as I'm hopefully ex expressing here, that, you know, we're going to stand forth, that we're going to be the voice for who, who speaks for the owls, who speaks for the trees, you know, what, and, and is our purpose, if we haven't awakened to nature, um, does our, is our purpose actually serving this earth, our home? You know, I think it, it has to, if we're going to have any hope as a species to move forward. So anyway, I'm getting a bit on my soapbox here, okay. but <laughs> yeah. Perfect. It, it yeah. just reminds me of the old saying in alchemy as within, so without. And I think we're seeing that right now that yeah. our internal states as a society are being reflected in the external state of the physical yeah. natural world and yeah. as things burn because we've forgotten old wisdom on controlled burns then yeah yeah here's what happens like yeah really bad but it always reminds me that like we should be worried about us and the animals. The earth will probably be all right in the end. It's just, right. will we still get to be on it? <laughs> right. So yeah. for people that need a little bit of selfishness to access this, there's your inroad. There you go. There you go. And there's a powerful teaching there with the fires. And, and yeah, I mean, so the, the two, two main points just physically of, of why those fires are happening, as you said, one is the lack of, um, of control burns through history, um, which we know are essential. Like we look to indigenous wisdom and all the tribes would, would actually facilitate controlled burns of the forest. Um, and so for decades and decades, we just didn't do that. And then it, they're built up all this dead wood that, that is it's, now we still have this kind of over um, abundance of that. And then of course the climate change and the change in temperatures. So it's so interesting because we can just look at that as a simple teaching on repression and disowning yeah. parts of ourselves. Like, we've disowned fire, like physically, <laughs> like we were like, okay, fire's not going to be part of the right. ecology of the landscape. And then what happens? It comes back and burns the shit out of the, the land in like a, like a terror. Is that not a perfect metaphor for like, oh, I'm not angry. I'm always happy. Right. And then what happens at the worst possible yeah, time? You exactly. blow up and you yell or you hit somebody. Oh my God, it's insane, you know? Well, it just makes me think of attachment too because yeah. the reason we stopped yeah. allowing controlled burns was because, no, I need to live right here. It's important yes. that I live right here. So there can't be fires because my house will burn down right. because I'm so attached to this spot in particular. No more controlled burns, not allowed because right. right. I built a city here. And it's yep. that spun out of control. It's like, great. Well, if you're going to have that much tension, you get nothing. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, it's 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 wild. I mean, there are whole towns. We've got a town not a few hours away. I, I live in North Idaho, and we're close to Eastern Washington. And mm-hmm. there was a town, eighty percent of it burned down. And I was just like, "Are you kidding me?" Like buildings yeah. and all. I was right. like, "That's just insane." I can't even fathom that. You know? Yeah. So yeah, but um, these are these are important times. You know, mythologically, it's good to look at all this mythologically as well mm-hmm. and say, you know, in times like this, you know, it's asking all of us to dig deep, deep inside, and say, "What am I contributing to this world?" You know, that is. Oh God, so much chaos. These are unprecedented times. We just, we don't know. We don't have a file card for what it is to live in times like these, but there is this calling. I think that, that it is offering people. I've found this in my work, like, especially since last March with coronavirus pandemic, Mm. what I'm, I don't know if you noticed this, Alex, but for me, like when the transformational work that I facilitate, the transformational processes are absolutely amplified the last six months. I mean, I've kind of actually normalized it now, but everybody I'm working with, solo, one-on-one, group, it's like the transformational process is absolutely amplified. And um, to pull it off though, is like (laughs) this Herculean feat, like the administrative mess of like trying to make anything happen. It's just kind of crazy. Everything is so up in the air. and so I think what that, but the fact that the transformational process is deepening right now, I think speaks to the deeper spiritual nature of the times we're in. Yeah. That you know, this is the time of great change. You know, in uh, we, we could look back to the indigenous people and say, you know, it was the Indian Wars, the 1860s. What happened? Mm-hmm. You know, it was the great leaders that are now like you know, like Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse and Geronimo emerged that greatness emerged, what, in response to, my God, genocide, right? Like the the death of the the potential death of their whole people and that whole life way. So here we are, here's the great challenge of our time, all this insanity, what's rising up? You know, who will rise up? Who will be those, you know, people that rise up and be the leaders, whether that's on the small scale or the large scale. But I think that calling is real. I think that calling is very real. Totally agree. And I've noticed the same thing. And it's part of the reason I believe what you're doing is so important and this type of work is so important is I think, you know, there's a saying, and I don't know where it's from, but like big dragon, you're going to need a big hero. <laughs> and yes. yeah. I think a lot of people are feeling that awakening within themselves right now of that hero archetype, but it's imperative upon each of us to first get quiet, do our internal work, yep. come complete in and of ourselves so that we are applying that archetype that wants to save and rescue Mm -hmm. correctly because a lot of what we're seeing right now or a lot of what i'm seeing at least is people are feeling that and perhaps Mm -hmm. like you know coronavirus like the first time that people have had a pattern interrupt in their lives for a lot of people where it's like breaking the pattern and they're able to be like whoa what's going on they feel all this stuff come up but then instead of getting quiet and going what would truly be best for the world right now it's like okay well there's group a and i'm going to apply my sword (laughs) towards group a right rather than use my shield to protect you know group b so just yeah a further injunction on people an invitation rather to get quiet go out into nature try something like a soul wander get yourself into a space where you're 
you've done the internal work to be sure that you're operating out of that place of love and compassion and community. Yes. And that's going to be how we can all affect a shift that is so, so needed. Absolutely, man. And there's, uh, there's an old teaching that speaks to this, which is that, that we shouldn't rush for power. You know, power is going to come. If you're on the spiritual path, it will come. If there's a rush, <laughs> the rush should be to rush towards healing. And you really shouldn't rush towards healing. But if, if you're going to have a priority, as you said, to your point, move towards healing. Because you know what? Let's face it. There's way too many people on this planet that are imbued with power, one form or another, that have not done the healing journey, taken the heal their healing journey. And what happens? Well, we know what happens. The shadow you know, rules and uh, not to make it too political, but, you know, just look at our leadership here yeah, in the United totally. States. Like, oh my God, is this not so obvious? So mm -hmm. we, we know this, you know, we know that when we don't face our wounds, they come back out and they hurt the ones we love or the ones or ourselves. you know, and, and this is so important. You know, another, another spin on this is that I've been working with lately. Um, do you know who Michael Beckworth is? Mm -hmm. He's like a spiritual reverend. Uh, this really powerful man. Um, and anyhow, he, there's a quote that he has, which is, let's see if I can get it. Um, the pain pushes you until the vision pulls you mm. to break that down just for a second. So the, this idea being that at some point in our life, we have an awakening and we just become conscious of ourselves. For some people that happens earlier, for some people that happens later. For me, it was like, yeah, right around 19, as I shared in my story. And what becomes apparent on some level with the awakening is again uh what we're not at peace with in ourselves that unprocessed trauma what needs to be healed and so there's a good chunk of time this is kind of oversimplifying the journey but there's a good chunk of time when we it's based on pain it's based on well i'm not i'm not getting the relationship i want i'm not getting the impact i want in the world um there's things that don't feel good i feel bad and so I want to change that, right? And, and there's a deep knowing that, that I am capable of more. There's a greater expression that's possible for my life. And so at that time, our life is largely wound-driven, we could say. And that pain is pushing us. And I think it's important to just say, you know, we need to allow ourselves to be pushed by that pain. Like, yeah. I know it's uncomfortable and to the listeners out there, like I get it. I mean, fuck, you know, I've been there and I, I still go there. It's hard to come up against the pain. It's uncomfortable to face my vulnerability over and over, but that's the work we have to do. That's what's been repressed, you know, for generations. If it doesn't you know, push you in awareness, it's going to push you in other ways that you're not seeing. So totally, totally. And so, <laughs> Exactly. So step in because exactly. You can either do the minor dance. One of my teachers would say this. You can do the minor dance of like addressing it consciously and choosing into that vulnerability, or you can do the major dance where it comes and bites you in the ass and becomes that fire that's out of control. Right. But the pain pushes you until the vision pulls you. So I, mm -hmm. I do believe that it's possible that we can get up to a point where we catch up with ourselves, meaning yes. We've mostly processed most of the of the trauma in our lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, are there still vestiges and does the little story still pop up and all that? Oh, yeah. But the heavy trauma has been processed and we catch up with ourselves. And then when if further trauma is introduced, we can, you know, be with it and, and kind of stay up to par with it rather than putting it on the back burner. And at that point, you know, a, a magical change happens, which is where 
we really become rather than wound driven, now we can become purpose or vision driven. And that it's not about responding to the pain anymore. It's about responding to what Charles Eisenstein calls the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, right? That there is this bigger vision, this bigger purpose, and I'm here to serve that. Yeah. You know, I liken this journey to climbing a mountain. You know, I named my, my business Purpose Mountain. And that first half climbing the mountain is the pain is literally pushing us up, up, up. And when we peak it, when we summit it, now the vision pulls us, meaning there is a greater momentum and we hit more flow states and, uh, and it builds upon itself like gravity. You know, it's easier to hike down a mountain than yeah. it is up. And that's possible. And so for any of the listeners who might be on the other side of that, you know, like, oh, take the journey, you know, go for it is, is my biggest, uh, my biggest words of advice, because you can come to real healing and, and you can come to a deep connection with your vision and, and, and share that with the world. And it's so fulfilling, right? It's like, my God, I'm sure you experience this with the podcast and everything else to live the vision. I mean, that's that deep spiritual fulfillment. There's just, there's nothing like it. You know, it's the greatest trip of all, I think Absolutely. is to, is to is to connect with our vision and live that in the world yeah beautiful yeah that <laughs> yeah, a last story here and then we'll we'll wrap because we're getting yeah. time here but it yeah, yeah. reminds me so vividly of my second intentional psilocybin mm. mushroom yeah. ceremony that i self-administered when i was trying to cure my alcoholism and mm. i won't go over the whole story because it's a long story but basically I had this vision where I was at the bottom of this giant mountain and like vivid, like mm. can still feel the cold air on my skin to this day when I think wow. of this. And as I was looking at this mountain, the medicine told me, here's your purpose. Mm. Here it is ahead of you. You're at the bottom of the mountain. Mm. And every time you climb a little and then you go drinking, you slide right back to the beginning. And it was such a visual representation of mm. exactly what you're talking about, which is if we avoid pain, if we shy away from it and choose to make it unconscious, we just continue to slide back to the beginning. Yeah. And it may feel good for the two seconds where you're sliding down the hill. We're like, yay. Oh, great. I don't feel pain. Right. As soon as you're back at the bottom, looking up at the thing going, that's a big mountain. I'm still at the bottom. You're going to feel that sense of dread. And I think that's what a lot of people feel when they're stuck in these loops, this kind of just like general foreboding. So it's just, yeah. it's an invitation to go that through these different modalities, mm. whether it's plant medicine or nature, there is the ability to climb that mountain and mm. to find healthy ways in which we can learn to, as you said, kind of like deal with our capital T traumas and get to mm -hmm. a point where we're at even. And then maybe we yeah. start crossing even into the plus like yes we're at negative yes. 20 now you're at zero <laughs> and zero feels fucking great oh yeah and now we can work on the plus side of like okay you're at plus right. 20 that means you're actually adding yeah. things to those around you and that is yeah. i mean of all the feelings that fill me up and i know you feel the same it's when i truly am able to assist someone mm. fuck oh that's the best drug if you, if so you put good. that in a pill for me i'll just be taking that every day so, so good <laughs> <laughs> awesome well tim thank you so much for exactly. being on um what is a good place for people to find yeah. you and your work 
Yeah. So uh, great. Best starting point is Purpose Mountain. So it's just www.purposemountain.com. No spaces or dashes, just, uh, just like it sounds. And yeah, so for folks who are interested in taking that deep journey of connecting with soul, that nature-based journey of connecting with purpose, that's the way to go. Um, I do one-on-one work and group work. And then if there's folks who are really interested in connecting with nature um, and all of that that we were talking about, you can check out my wilderness school, which is Twin Eagles Wilderness School. The website is www.twineagles, plural S at the end, .org, O-R-G. Yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for being on sharing your gift. Everyone, I highly recommend if you have the opportunity, work with Tim. He's a, mm-hmm. a master. So yeah, thank you so much for being on. Well, you're sure welcome. And it's a real pleasure. I really appreciate this opportunity, Alex. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Tim is such a wealth of knowledge and really I've been so impressed with the way that he's compressed some of these traditions that have been so long held into really palatable ways for us to understand these practices in Western society, which is so go, go, go and so extraction mindset. It's really refreshing to see a new take on these practices. So if you did enjoy this episode, go check out Tim at his website. You can find all of the details of how to contact him, how to contact me in the show notes of this episode. And as always, again, a five-star review is amazing. It helps the show out so much. Leave a written review if you feel so called. And of course, share it with a friend. That helps get word out and helps people find out about dope people like Tim. And you can always find me on Instagram at Alexander Diesel or at my website, www.throughtheveil.co. That is it for today. Again, if you haven't checked out the companion episode of this episode, I highly recommend you do so. It's released at the same time, and it is the story of my soul wander, Tim's practice of going into nature and just listening and seeing what comes up. And let me tell you, it was a doozy. So check that one out too. That's it for today. I love you all so much. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you.